image for my thinking around this Resurrection Sunday came two Sundays ago, where a few of us were in Windsor Baptist, baptizing Nancy and Mahmoud and Ali and Ali. And um, for those who were there, there were a few of us. You don't want to miss the next one because Stockman was all at sea. I had never seen what these tanks were like. I thought they were deeper. I thought it would be an easy wee ducking out. And I came to this Rubik's Cube of how I was going to baptize these four new believers without bashing their heads against the steps that seemed far too close to the surface of the water. So fortunately, one of the alleys was a little bit late, and I had about 20 minutes to conjure. How do we do this? And there was a eureka moment where somebody said, you know, sometimes they use two people to do it. And that just changed the whole thing. With Keith soon looking quite ridiculous, and myself, we were able to get in, and hopefully no damage was done to those who we had the privilege of baptizing. But it was a moment in the baptisms. Now, there was four, but the one I remember is Mahmoud the best. I don't know, Nancy. I think I was so nervous for years. But uh, when Mahmoud was under the water, there was just this real clarity of a moment when I caught that almost like a picture in your mind of this person under the water in a precarious place because he was depending on Keith and I to bring him back through the water again. But for that moment... You're under the water, it seems dangerous. It seems that that would be a way that you could literally die. And for that moment, I could see what Jesus meant with the sins under the water, dying to the old self. And then that joy of bursting through the surface of the water into this new life. Keith and I hadn't let them down They were still alive. But those images, the two, seeing the face under the water and watching as they came bursting back through the surface, those images will go with me for a long, long time. And on Friday night here, I asked us to dwell, if you like, in the shadows and in the darkness. To dwell under the water. To dwell in the time that our sins were being dealt with, when they were dying, when the old world was being drowned. To ponder that, to think into that. Lady Gaga gave us wisdom, believe it or not, by suggesting we need to look into the shadows and the darkness if we're ever going to find a way to light the future. So in this Easter weekend, we have dwelt there. Like the disciples, we've scuttled around in the shadows, trying to avoid people's eyes, denying Jesus when asked, as Peter did. Or as Judas, trying to work out what to do, now that it all becomes clear to him, and he knows that he's betrayed the one that he didn't want to betray or love. On Friday As a friend of mine preached in Scotland and sent me his homily, the world's lights were turned out. And we waited patiently for a new world to be lit up. I didn't understand on Friday night 
that on that Saturday when to all intents and purposes Jesus is dead that I would sit in the Fitzroy room and stare into the abyss of that darkness. A friend who none of you will know so I can talk I think about it came to see me to tell me his life was just all gone wrong. And when he shared there we were staring into this old world an old world that has broken his heart broke my heart while we sat trying to find a way to deal with the agendas that just slipped in he got off maybe that agenda of going to church or being close to his faith and other agendas that didn't seem bad really his job led him into his social life led him into and before he knew he was so far from the good agenda that all there was was darkness and I suppose in those moments I just realized that really what we're thinking about this weekend is more than an Easter story. Somehow, and we have all kinds of theological opinions of what happened on that Good Friday and what happens through the Saturday into the Sunday. Paul tells us in Colossians, and he's the one that God is thinking heady, for goodness sake, but he tells us to forget the arguments and to live this and to see this and to experience what is happening here, that the old world is dead and there is a new world of resurrection, that we've died to the old self and we can live to a brand new self. And as I sat looking into one friend's darkness last night, I realized this is the only hope that we all have, that somehow when we switched out the lights, that God would do something that might reignite the flame, might help us to reimagine his will on earth as in heaven, that he might redeem. The only hope is that this resurrection life can be ours. And then I glanced across, for those who are visitors, we've been reading and trying to keep up. I didn't do well in America. Left the book behind to start with. Sorry, I need to confess my sins here. We better catching up to do in a week in Ballycastle this week. We've been reading the New Testament, as much of it as we possibly can, through Lent. And there was big debates on Facebook yesterday as to when Lent ended. Um, it was all to do with chocolate, I think. It was all ministers as well. They were all saying, was it noon? Was it midday? Was it when the sun went down? They wanted that cream egg. Um, so we're not going to go into that part of it, but we're, we've been reading through Lent and we're going on to Wednesday because that's when the, the course finishes. And I have to say, I'll be probably going on to Friday or Saturday to get it all done. But it's been amazing reading the New Testament in that short space of time speedily running through it and getting the whole terrain of it. And three things jumped out at me as I thought, well, what is resurrection life? It is our only hope, but how does it, how does it work? What are the things in this that we should be looking at to say, how is our resurrection life going? If we wanted to sit down now and do a bit of an audit, how's our spiritual lives? How has it been since we burst through 
the surface of the waters or since we were baptized in whatever way in Fitzroy, we do it in every way that we possibly can uh, do it that would be biblical. What, how have we been doing? I thought there was three places that really the terrain stood out for me. I've been saying that as we've been reading it. It's like you're reading and just some passages. It's like if you're watching the Gulf, and I'm not sure they've been doing it as much this weekend, but they'll give you the, the sort of the levels of the greens and how high the green is, and they'll go into that computer level. It's, sometimes the terrain is just of the scriptures is just raised up, and I've been sitting there thinking, this is important. This is what I need to consider. Three places very quickly. The fruit of the Spirit, obviously. We come through the surface of the waters. And the Holy Spirit says, there are some things within us that are going to change. That the Spirit is going to change. That we can't change with all our efforts. But if we're living this resurrection life, we should see these things beginning to live and grow within us. Here's Eugene Peterson's take on it. What happens when we live God's way, God's agenda? We thought a lot on Friday night about maybe Judas had his own agenda. He wanted Jesus to be king and Jesus was being very humble and washing people's feet and this wasn't the agenda that Judas wanted he was wanting rule over the Romans and he he was wanting justice to come for the oppression and he was wanting David's throne to be back as a military force this was Judas's agenda and when it wasn't coming he betrayed Jesus because he thought Jesus should take his agenda and then after he'd done it he realized oh we need another agenda that's different than this it's hopeless if we go my agenda so here's Galatians 5, what happens when we live God's way, when we live God's agenda? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like, very quickly, affection for others. That's how Eugene Peterson expounds love. Affection for others. We will start to see others and begin to want to be involved in the lives of others. And when others are in trouble, we'll want to help them. It's like um, when we got a dog, I had no time for dogs. Didn't want a dog. But I was in America last week, and when a dog appeared, I played with that dog as if I was a natural. Because once a dog comes into your life like that, and you get used to that dog, then you notice other dogs. That's a ridiculous dog sticking out of the back of that woman's handbag. Or that dog's bigger than Odie. Or whatever. Suddenly your life begins to see things that it didn't see before. Affection for others. Exuberance about life. Joy. Exuberance about life. Now, we're Presbyterians. Well, we're a Presbyterian church. I understand very few of you are Presbyterians, and I understand even more that very few are prepared to take the name on, but we are in some kind of level. We're Northern Ireland evangelical Christians, and there's something not too exuberant about that a lot of the time. But it's there, an exuberance about life, a joyfulness about life, that we are living life and life in all its fullness if we want to go back to our weekend in Castle Wellen. Serenity, a peace, a sense of peace around us. When all's going wrong, let me tell you, 10 o'clock to 10.40 on a Sunday morning in the months, there is no sign of serenity, at least from the minister. But this is what we should be working towards, a sense of peace, a trust. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a willingness to stick with things. Patience, that's how he expounds it, a willingness to stick with things. That's going in our society. 
don't want to stick with things. We seem to have fallen out of love with our husband and wives and we're not going to stick with that. We're just going to go our own merry way or whatever. Stick with things, with friendships, with churches. We want to stick in. We want to be those who are patient with things. A sense of compassion in the heart. Kindness. Taking that affection for others, putting something else upon it. A kindness towards others. A compassion like Jesus had for those who were like sheep without shepherds. A conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people is how he takes goodness. A sense of goodness within us which sees the good in the world around us. Now, again in the church, I was uh, reading a few quotes from Calvin this week. They were in another book. It was called When Metallica Comes to Church. You can see why I get into Calvin because Metallica were the thing that led me in there. But it was a minister in Canada who had Metallica were coming to his church. They're a heavy rock band, even too loud for me, but Jimmy Hanna would listen to them back there. And, um, and Metallica were coming to his church, so he did some sermon on Metallica, and the Metallica people turned up to video it because they wanted some sense of what was going on here. And he was trying to um, look at why he does that in this book. And he took us to Calvin, who doesn't only say that God is... Uh, has a common grace throughout the whole of society, not just within the church, but that it's our job not just to recognize that common grace and truth, but we're obliged to respond to it and to hold on to it and to see that truth and to hold that truth because sometimes we think only those who are Christians can speak truth or sing truth or act truth or do truthful things. No, no. Goodness, says Eugene Peterson, is a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, faithfulness, taking up that patience again, loyal commitments to one another and to things. And this is wonderful, gentleness, not needing to force our way. Judas was forcing his way. Judas was the opposite of gentle. He was wanting to come in military force and force his way in that agenda. No, 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 no. No need to force our agenda. And able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Self-control. Able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. These are the first things that we will see with resurrection life beginning to grow within us. Now, as I say, from 10 o'clock to 10.40 on a Sunday morning, there's still a lot of work to be done in the months on some of these. But there will be things we'll begin to see happen within us what about outside of us well i will talk briefly and then i want to get on to the last point it couldn't help but ask well what will we look like in this resurrection life and jesus says it nearly just as he goes to be with his father he said there will be sheep and goats and we know that in that part of the world the middle east that sheep and goats look very alike uh, walter uh, walterstorff uh, nick walterstorff told us that last year when he was speaking here about that parable and I, I know that Philip talks about um, how Godfrey Dalton showed him a photograph when he was a student and asked him where the sheep and the goats were and he couldn't tell the difference and suddenly this parable came alive to him again. Who are the sheep? Who are those living resurrection life? Well, the ones resur living resurrection life, and I, I quote Eugene Peterson again from that parable in, in Matthew 25, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was hopeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. 
Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And then he will say, um, whenever you see sick or whenever, and when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to visit you? And the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Resurrection life will take us from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, affection for others, kindness and compassion. We will go to those in our society that nobody else is going to today. And we will meet them with their needs. Jesus resurrected alive on their doorstep. Which takes me to my last point today. And one that has been brewing with us for a little bit of time. I've said for a few weeks that we had this few weeks that were uncontrived. Father Jerry standing here praying for the queen that he just prayed for on the Falls Road and President Higgins right here and then we went into those events that we had that just happened to run coincide into each other Philip's play about 19 and 12 how did our forefathers deal with Ulster covenants and what was going on around home rule and Rome rule and the government and all that kind of stuff. Right here we were dealing with the history that shaped us. And then we took that gospel according to Christy Moore and we put it into Lena Doon. And we, I guess, critiqued our own history and asked, were we the oppressor? Uh, and then we come back just Sunday week ago and Lee took us through that conflict transformation that is going on among unionists and loyalists. At the end of all that, last Saturday afternoon, I'm sitting with Ed Peterson uh, at Taylor University in Indiana talking about Northern Ireland. And we were trying to share the journey of that, and it's a resurrection life. The old, the old would not want to see the other or restore the other or love the other, or cross the boundaries to do things to your enemies. But the resurrection life is completely different. Let me read to you from, um, I think this is the NIV. Is it? I think it is. Um, To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. Someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? If we love those who love us, where is the evidence of resurrection life? Anybody can love those who love them. But Jesus is saying, because of resurrection life, because of this new agenda, we will do things that the ordinary people won't do. We will be driven to do it because it's part of that agenda. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those with whom you're expecting repayment, what credit is that for you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting or getting anything back. 
This is another sign of resurrection life. And as we were speaking about this uh, across the water, I suppose uh, in an American situation, it, it comes even more clear to you that this is not deluxe. This is standard resurrection Jesus living. We were telling the story of Jerry and Ken. We told the story, or Ed did wonderfully, how when Ken was in Indonesia, um, that uh, somebody, a Catholic priest, came a distance and knocked on their door. And he was from Uri, and Val was from Uri, and he came in, and he said, and Ken says that they, you know, they had the cerebral for a little bit of time. They were trying to out-Protestant the Catholic and out-Catholic the Protestant. They met and they did this kind of theological gymnastics and a bit of hit and miss and hit and hit. And then he said they get past that. And they began to concentrate on the Jesus they had in common. And Ken said this was the first Catholic friend that he ever felt he had. And so when he came to Fitzroy, he walked down the road and knocked the door of the priest at St. Malachy's. When that didn't work out, to cut a long story short the relationship with Jerry happened. So we were sharing this. We were asking, what doors do we need to knock? What are the doors? What doors do resurrection life demand that we walk maybe even across the barrier and knock the door of? And start not to think that we know better than each other because it came back to me again and again as we were thinking about speaking at Taylor that first corinthians 13 of i have all knowledge and can prove that protestantism is right and that catholicism is wrong or if i have all knowledge that says catholicism is right and protestantism is wrong but if i don't have love i've got nothing if we don't love the other if we don't restore the other it was there in the fruit of the spirit the goodness that permeates the affection for others, the compassion for others, the sense that we need to be doing something. I read before I went the, the new book that's out by John Brewer and Garth Higgins and Francis Tini. Well, I read a good bit of it. I haven't finished the whole thing, but the book's called Religion, Civil Society and Peace in Northern Ireland. And in some ways it says that as church denominations we failed. But then it does admit that some groups like Fitzroy and Corrie Mila and uh, the, the School of Ecumenics and Econi, they were doing work that, um, that, that was grassroots underneath the surface. I thought it was telling that when I went to find a book that suggested the church didn't really get involved in peacemaking, that the best theological library in Ireland just across the road didn't have it. I thought that was sort of quite ironic, that the book that said we weren't that good at it didn't have the book that said we weren't that good at it. But after Jonathan had asked for it for me, they got it in. And there was something that happened in that book for myself, and I want to end with this, and I think it's the challenges we leave in Resurrection Sunday. Uh, I, I imagine it's Brewer who's the main player in the book. He talks about a passive peacemaking and an active peacemaking. Passive peacemaking is that we don't cause any trouble to the other. In fact, we know that we should be making peace. We know that we shouldn't be making division, but we don't really do much about it. Me, for about 15 years of my life, I knew from a very young age that I had a passion to reach out across the boundaries. But coming from Balamina, there were far too many pressures, too many other agendas on my shoulder. I was looking over my shoulder too many times to make that relationship that Ken got in Indonesia and started to build here with Jerry. So I had to move in my life over years 
from a passive peacemaking that said we need to make peace to actually trying to do something that made peace. Then Breuer goes on to talk about negative peacemaking and positive peacemaking. Bit the same. Negative peacemaking stops the war. But positive peacemaking does something to bring about peace. And that's where we come to the end of it. Political healing or society healing. We in Northern Ireland sit with 10 years of anniversaries. Philip has got plays that he's going to be able to write for about 10 years from now. Here we are on Easter Sunday, one of the important dates in our political calendar here in Ireland. And we need to move from thinking that the political peace that we have at this moment in time is enough. We need to realize that we need to create a societal peace, a societal healing that will change the very bedrock of our society so that we cannot go back to those days ever again. And we have not done it. We have been very lax. Philip called it a breather when we were having our discussion after the 19 and 12 um, play. We've sat back and thought, oh, there's a political piece. We're not getting searched getting into shops. We're not getting searched. Isn't it great that there's cafes? Isn't it great that there was twenty or 30,000 people down last night at the Titanic quarter? Isn't Belfast great now? But it's only a political piece. Resurrection Sunday says to us that we can have so much more. The old world, the lights can go out and God's will can come on earth as in heaven. That's what we burst through the waters to do. We burst through the waters to bring God's kingdom to the heart of our society that changes the fabric of our society and brings God's will on earth as it is in heaven. He is risen. The tomb is empty. Resurrection life is ours for the taking. Will we fall at his feet? Will we declare that we're prepared for it? And the fruit of the spirit in our lives and the people that we're going to see and minister to and the societal healing that we need to have in our country. Are we up for a change of heart that will affect how we see things from our mind and give us the courage Give us the courage to be those who see resurrection permeate the society that we live in. And for those who missed the head, the heart, and the courage, yet the Wizard of Oz is in there somewhere too. Are we up for resurrection life? Let's pray. Lord, Judas had an agenda. And it wasn't your agenda. You died and we switched out the lights of the world. And we waited for the lights of a new world to be born. And on that first Easter Sunday, you ripped through death to resurrection. Just as we burst through the waters of baptism to new life. And we thank you that we can declare today that you are a resurrection, Jesus. But you call us, you call us to burst through the waters, to live this Jesus way, to live this new Jesus agenda, to live it deep within our own lives, but then to live it from out of our own lives into the society that we live in. God, we pray that we would live as those who practice resurrection. Do it, Lord in each of our lives.
Amen.